Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson, welcoming you to the March 9th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, this show is brought to you by my firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. You can go to my website to learn more about me, the services that we provide, and catch any episode of Local Matters that you might have missed. The web address is janiceallenjackson.weebly.com. If you missed our show last week, you may want to do just that and catch that episode. I discussed the redistricting process in Georgia and specifically here in Richmond County. You may have heard that there is a good deal of controversy surrounding that process and decisions that have been made. And last week's show was to just sort of break that down so that you would have a better understanding of what the issues are and what the possibilities are from here in terms of how this could be challenged. Next week, I am going to focus on what is happening statewide this week, and that is candidates are officially qualifying to run for various offices. This is a huge election year for Georgia, even though it's non-presidential. There are a ton of items on the ballot, and those candidates are going in to qualify. Uh, you have heard many say that they were going to run for this or run for that. And this is the week that we find out because they have to put their name on the dotted line and they have to submit checks in the form of qualifying fees if they indeed do plan to run for office. So please plan to be with us next week. However, this week is special unto itself because it is a celebration of Women's History Month, as well as an opportunity to prepare you for those judicial races that are on the ballot. My guest is Judge Kelly Kenner McIntyre, who will become the first woman to serve as chief judge of the Richmond County State Court. So we'll talk to Kelly about her vision for that office, We'll talk to her some and to get benefit of her expertise. And in particular, she's going to provide some advice to us about what we're what we need to do when it's time for us to vote for judges. Again, thanks so much for being a part of our Local Matters family. This afternoon, Local Matters family, we have Judge Kelly Kenner McIntyre. Uh, as promised last week, she is our first guest for Women's History Month, and I thought it very appropriate that we salute somebody who has had a groundbreaking career in law and uh, politics. Kelly, how are you doing today? I am well. How are you? I'm great. And just so everybody knows, yes, going to call me Janice and I'm going to call her Kelly. And I think you better call her Judge McIntyre. <laughs> Kelly, if you could get started just telling us a little bit about your background. Sometimes I'm amazed at what people don't know about some of the public officials who represent them. Uh, so just give people a little overview of who you are and, and what you did before you got to state court. Okay. Um, born and raised right here in Augusta, graduate of Blaine Hills High School, and left Augusta, went to Emory University, 
and from Emory University to University of Georgia, where I got my master's, worked for many, many years as a social worker. And so I worked as a domestic violence advocate and worked as that was my full time job. And then as my part time job, I worked as a medical social worker in one of the largest level one trauma centers in, in Atlanta. That's Grady Hospital, where I worked third shift Friday and Saturday nights from 11 p to 7 a. So I've seen just about most the, the most horrible things that can possibly happen to people from gunshot wounds to stab wounds to car accidents to limbs hanging off. But but you just learn a lot when you're in that situation. But after working for a while, I decided to go to law school. So I went to law school at 31 years old. And I always encourage everybody. I'm like, look, never look at age when you're deciding to make a change or you might want to go back to school. Went to law school at Georgia State and uh, worked up in Atlanta for just a little while longer before coming back home to Augusta and serving as an assistant solicitor with my, my classmate, my high school classmate. Harold Jones was the solicitor at that time. So that kind of is, is almost it in a nutshell, if you would. But um, I've seen a lot, uh, heard a lot, done a lot in those different positions. Um, and I just think that what they've done for me is just helped me to appreciate life just that much more. So that's just a little about me. Um, I, I am a member of Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated, um, Jack and Jill of Augusta <laughs> Incorporated. And um, love my baby, love my family, love my church, love my community. Yeah, and as you referenced, the, the baby, the baby just, just hit double digits, right? She did. She is 10 years old. She is almost my height. I am five feet tall, so, so which is not very tall, but she is almost my height, but she is a string bean. She's about that wide, uh, but she, she does well in school. She plays the piano. She is a competitive gymnast, and uh, I am enjoying being her mother. Yeah, and it's one of the things, so as you bring that out, this is something that I have not highlighted, I don't think, in any previous episode, but for Women's History Month, it is important for us to realize that a lot of times those of us who are in, high, uh, many times those of us uh, who are in high profile positions are coming home to a kid or yes. two or three. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because uh, in in my case, uh, when I came uh, back to Augusta as administrator, I had two teenagers at oh, that yeah. point. So uh, it would be like days where I would just be absolutely pulling my hair out. But <laughs> but you find a, we women find a way to make it work. We definitely um, do. Now, you have been in state court now for how long? Oh, my goodness. Uh, since January 1 of 2017. So this is going into my sixth year. Yeah. And, you know, we have all these courts. We got magistrate court, probate court, state court, superior court. Tell me what is the niche? What does state court really focus on? State court focuses on misdemeanors. So that's those, those types of charges that you can get up to 12 months confinement and up to a $1,000 fine. And so many people are like, well, that could be just about anything. Well, it could be a traffic charge. It could be a DUI. It could be domestic violence, um, minor thefts, uh, criminal trespass, property damage. 
things of that that nature. But we do see a lot of domestic violence cases as well as DUIs. That's like the bulk. State court also handles civil cases. So when you sue someone, uh, we can have a medical malpractice case, a big, huge case. Judge Booker, for example, just did a Johnson and Johnson case. When I tell you that this was a multi-million dollar case that could be on the line, a very, very high profile case, those cases can come through state court as well. But it can be something as minor as a car accident as well. So we do civil. Uh, Judge Booker focused primarily on civil on the bench, but with her pending retirement, you're going to see everybody else kind of doing a lot more civil cases. But um, you hear more about the criminal because we have such a huge caseload. I mean, it's 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 volume in state court simply because of the nature of the cases that come through. So, and help me, because I don't think I've ever sat through a case in state court. Uh, do you have jury trials? We do, we do. But the interesting okay. thing about jury trials in state court for the criminal cases, we have six jurors instead of 12. We have six. But now in the civil cases, you do, you have 12, you have 12 jurors. But we do have jury trials. Um, oftentimes they do not last nearly as long as the trials that you would find at the superior court level. You know, you may have some of their trials to last for days. Our cases can typically last about a day long. All right. And then do you have a certain time frame within which to make a decision? Or I guess for the cases, do sometimes people decline the jury and then you as a judge have to make the decision in those cases? Bench trials, we do. I mean, when you come in, usually when they come into state court for arraignment, and they plead not guilty, they're asked at that time, would you like to have a jury trial or would you like to have a bench trial? And most of the time they'll choose a bench trial in traffic cases because it's almost as simple as someone saying, I ran the red light and the other one saying, no, that I did not. And, and the judge, you know, you, you make that decision and you really make it right there, you know, based on the evidence and, and the testimony. Because when I tell you that the bench trials usually go pretty quickly, because there, you won't have a lot of witnesses to present. You won't have a lot of evidence to present in those types of cases. So we do have bench trials. We have bench trial sessions. We have jury trials. Um, oftentimes, it's, sometimes we have to make, we're finding more that we have to accommodate those that are not English speaking, uh, which is sometimes a little bit difficult to find interpreters here in Augusta, Georgia. So uh, we try to accommodate everybody as best and as quickly as we possibly can, which is not always the easiest thing to do. But you do not want, um, you know, sometimes people can have pending cases and they can almost slow people up from doing things that they need to do in life in terms of finding jobs. You know, if they pull your record and they see something that's pending there, oftentimes you may have someone that say, I need to get this taken care of. So we're in, in the court. We're trying to, to get that done. Okay. All right. Very good. And there are four seats. There are four seats. And it looks like you're about to have a court influx to some we degree are. because our Judge Watkins, David Watkins, who had been chief judge for many years, yes. is retiring. And then the next senior person who was Judge Patty Booker, she's retiring. It is. <laughs> so that means that you will become ascend to the role of chief judge because that's based on seniority. Is that right? It, it is based on seniority. So yes, I will be um, chief judge of state court at 
Judge Watkins' retirement. Um, we have, like you said, we have four judges. And so we're, it's, it's interesting how the judges are on two different election cycles. So at this point, um, Judge Watkins would have been up for re-election and he is not going to qualify as we talk, you know, qualify to run and he's just going to finish out his term. So there will be someone running for his position. So far, I think that this is the week of qualifying and Ashanti Lilly has qualified today. Uh, we're waiting until the end of the week to see who else may qualify. As for Judge Booker, her term was not up and would not be up until 2024, which means that that's going to be a gubernatorial appointment. So the governor will get the opportunity to appoint. And they actually just sent out the announcement on Friday uh, soliciting applications for that position. So you go through a whole process there where what's called the JNC the Judicial Nominating Committee, they will get together and they go over the applications. They invite you for an interview. And it's this group that determines who they will submit to the governor to interview. And it's usually anywhere, it's up to five names. Um, interviews are anywhere 15, maybe 20 minutes. And after that, the governor makes a decision. So that will happen with Judge Booker's decision and that person will serve the remainder of her term. So yeah, we're, we're kind of, when you say in flux, we're a little in flux. Um, we got a lot of changes coming. Okay. And you make reference to the, the governor and making an appointment here. So um, a couple months ago, I did a show, show on governors. Another example, the governor is going to impact who's making decisions here in Richmond County because the governor is going to appoint for Judge Booker C. And right. that person will serve for about two years. Exactly. So and then you always think about the what we perceive as the advantage of incumbency. So right. That person gives two years under their belt as a judge. And then if somebody chooses to challenge that person, they, they're essentially running against an incumbent, even right. though that person was never elected to office. Yes. That's exactly how it goes. And he's had the opportunity to do that. It seems like fairly often here of late in the last, I'd say the last couple of years in Augusta, he's made quite a few appointments to the bench. And so um, we, it, it's interesting for this one for state court. We're hoping because there have been times that it's been a quite a, you know, a little time period there that he'll go ahead and get someone in. Um, but with this being an election year, we're not really sure what's going to happen. All right. Right. Okay. And then the one other judgeship is held by Monique Walker. The other one, and, and, and Judge Walker is up for election this year too. So she is on that cycle with Judge Watkins where she would be um, up for re-election this year. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we will all be watching eagerly at the end of this week to see who has qualified, to see who's going to be running unopposed. Uh, and it stands to get really interesting. That it will. <laughs> I think that's an understatement. Yeah, it does. All right. So thanks so much for giving us a little overview of what state court does and the types of cases that you all handle. Curiously, you mentioned domestic violence. That's always been one of my um, issues I have a, a big heart for. Uh, have you seen any changes in the types of domestic violence cases you're seeing? Well, you know, Everybody talked about the uptick in domestic violence cases because of the pandemic when we were all sheltered in place. 
Um, and so we've been seeing pretty much the same kind. It just seems like it was a little increase in the number of cases. What we have done here, um, we're in the process of applying for a grant actually to, to fund a domestic violence court. We have somewhat of a pilot project that's going on to try to address those types of cases, but um, not only just intimate partner violence, but we're also seeing parent and child, child and parent, because people have had to uh, really kind of adjust with this new normal. A lot of people may have lost their housing and moved in with other family members. So you, we're different. We're seeing different types of relationships that come through, but they're all kind of under the umbrella of domestic violence. It's not just the intimate partner violence that we're seeing. So what we're trying to do is figure out the best way to address each one, because what works for this situation over here if it's intimate partner violence, it's not the same. You're not going to address it and they're not going to have the same needs as an adult child that's abusing his or her parent. So we have seen an uptick in cases. We're trying to figure out the best way to address them. We're hoping that the domestic violence court that we have in the pilot project that we're working with, we're trying to tweak, trying to tweak it as we go along to, for it to fit this community but we're also trying to get funding so that we can have something right there to really help us grow and address those cases that we have pending. But it is very difficult to see. Um, every, every situation is very different. And in our domestic violence cases, and when we're talking about them um, and you hear others just, I don't know why they're doing this or why this person has done that. I've been taught in domestic violence cases and even in my training, um, as a judge, all the way back to a domestic violence counselor, is that it's best not to judge a person's choices unless you know what their options might have been. And when we know that it's most violent when a person leaves, then it, you have to kind of take a lot of different things into consideration in those cases. Okay. Um, and as we talked about the, um, the qualifying period coming up, you know, one of the missions of local matters is to help people make voting decisions, make good decisions for themselves when they get that ballot. And uh, I started thinking, as much as I've been around local government, I don't think I could give good guidance to somebody about how they select judges. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's such an important thing, obviously, because of the types of cases you see, but it's something that we don't know anything about. And when you look at the you know appointed judges, um, I can't feel good necessarily good about that process. It seems like folks are appointed many times for political reasons. Right. But then on the other hand, I look at it and I say, are we as voters any better equipped to make decisions? So I wanted benefit of your advice today for our listeners on how our as voters we can put ourselves in good positions to make. Uh, a good selection for judges when we see two or three names on a ballot? I, I, that, that's a great question, considering that in years past, you didn't really see many judicial races. Um, many, many years ago, judges would get in their seats and they would run unopposed from that point on. Uh, that's not the case now. And I think you kind of see it more in the bigger cities like Atlanta, but you're going to see it more now. I think it's trickling down, not only through the state, but through the nation as I saw a piece the other day on Good Morning America and they were talking about the, actually the number of women and, and just when we're talking about Women History Month, the number of women that are running for office now. 
Um, so I think it's more, we have a bigger mindset of saying, if this is what I want, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go after it. But I think when you're looking at a judgeship, just as any other position, if I have a question about um, a candidate, believe it or not, Janice, I research. I mean, I go, I try to find whatever I can, especially like statewide candidates when you really don't know them. But I think it's important, important if you know anything or can find anything out that you know that this person is fair. Um, and I think that at the state court level, there has to be some level of compassion because those that are coming before you at the state court level are dealing with many times a lot of life events and things that just simply happen to them. I cannot tell you the number of people who have lost their job and as a result, lost their housing. As a result, they might be living in their car, but they can't pay car insurance. They get stopped. They have a ticket for car for, for no insurance. So it sounds like something minor, but it's something so huge to those that this happens to because if their car is impounded and they're living in their car, they really no longer have a place to go. So you need to have somebody that kind of has an idea and is willing to dig a little deeper and to know the law, understand the law, and even understand the parameters that they have and the discretion that they have to it, where, where the law and where their job is concerned. Um, I think it's also important to, if, if, if there is a way to get a sense of a person's temperament and how they're going to handle being on the bench. Um, it's it's kind of hard to, to give you an explanation of what I mean by that, but there has to be a level of professionalism when they're on that bench so that when you are running your courtroom, there is an understanding that you are running your courtroom, if, if, if that's clear. Uh, so when you're looking, when you go and start to research, research your candidates, find out what their background may have been, where they came from, what type of experience do they bring to that position? Um, how understanding and accessible will they be? Now, judges really can't be accessible like your county commissioners and you know your other politicians, but um, I think that if you are able to lay eyes on them, that you do know that that person, I voted for them and they are concerned about what happens to the people in this community. Although there are parameters for what they can and cannot do and how much, you know, how in depth and how deep they can get into their community, get involved into their community. So look at those things. I mean, it's, it's I think you want to know that there is a, a sincerity um, and a sincere love and commitment to the community. I know that was a lot, but it's like, I just, when it comes to sitting on the bench, um, to me, it's just so serious because you're making decisions about people's lives, big and small. So I, I would encourage anybody that that's just take the time to look and listen. If there is an, uh, there are any forums going on, um, any way you can go out and hear and meet the candidates, definitely do it. Definitely do it. Right. And you're right. It is a lot, but the responsibility is a lot. It is. It's huge. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. The responsibility is a lot. So this time around uh, on the ballot, I know we have at least one contested race in magistrate court. Yes. Um, we've got uh, contested races. Looks like at least two in superior court. Yeah. Um, so 
people are going to have to put these research skills to good use for yeah. several elections, several judicial <laughs> elections. I don't believe there's ever been that many judicial races in Augusta at one time. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that there has been because, um, like you said, the advantage used to be if you're an incumbent, but nobody would run against you for the most part. Right. Um, but now all of that whole dynamic is changing. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the reason is for that? Well, I, I honestly think it's it, you know, it goes back to that power that we talked about with the governor. And there are a lot of people who aspire to the bench. And if you if someone leaves before their term, I mean, when you kind of look throughout the state and see who normally gets the appointments, it may not necessarily be the person that's running. And so I think that a lot of people are just simply of the mind. I'm not going to wait for this person to give it to me. I'm just going to simply go and get it, you know, and to be quite honest, if, if, if it's left up to the governor to make the decision, just that one person, as opposed to the voters out there, you might want to put it into the government, into the voters hands, because it can be so political when it's kind of left up to the governor. All right. Um, and as you approach uh, your uh, new responsibility as chief, assumed to be new responsibility of chief judge, you've got, uh, well, 10 months, eight, nine months. Um, are there any particular uh, things that you want to look at trying to get done once you take on that role? Well, I think um, one of the main things that I'd like to do is um, give each judge a little bit more autonomy. And we're going to have to figure out, I'm going to have to figure out how we can do that. And the reason why I say that is that judges in other jurisdictions tend to have a little bit more than we do here. And it's simply because they generally have their own courtrooms and their own staff that staff the courtrooms. So here in Richmond County, we have four judges, but two courtrooms. So we really have to play almost musical chairs when it comes to getting your cases on the docket, you know, setting up courtroom sessions, because it's really only two can really go at one time when you have four judges. So we've learned a lot of new ways to conduct court sessions. And one of them is just the way that we're doing this right now. It's virtually. We did a lot of virtual stuff during the pandemic. And if we can figure out ways to do that, I think that each individual judge would be able to figure out how best to move their docket a little bit faster. So when I say autonomy, I'm saying we need to figure out how to do that. Um, I think the other thing is we're trying to, once we figure out and all of the dust settles with the elections and the appointments, um, Judge Watkins has always handled the DUI accountability court. Uh, We want other accountability courts here. And if there are judges that could attend to them, because we've been trying for, we would like to have a mental health court here. So once we find a judge who can kind of spearhead that, because we have a lot of people you have to think about. We have a lot of vets here in Augusta, too, uh, that are dealing with mental health issues. Then we can kind of get that. So if we can have more accountability courts in place. Believe me, that's going to help to move some of the cases, too, because the pandemic caused us to really kind of shut it down, almost in a sense. We tried to move cases as best we could, but it was still a trickle. So now that things are lifted and we can really start to do stuff, we're going to figure out how best we can do it and get more cases moving because they've said in, in, in studies and all of this, all of this throughout the state that it's going to take two years 
to address the backlog that came about as a result of the pandemic. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of rough to try to figure out how can we do this? So my goals really is to just kind of give everybody a little bit more autonomy in terms of working out and figuring out, because at the end of the day, each judge is ultimately responsible for his or her caseload. You know, so you definitely want to keep it moving. All right. Thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, if we had more time, I know there's more we could talk about, but I hope this has given our listeners an idea of the responsibilities of state court and how they can do a better job when it's time for them to, to make some selections in well, May. I, I certainly hope so, because May is quickly approaching. Um, and I'm so hoping that everyone gets out to vote. If if uh, no one knows the importance of it, it's the politician that's talking. But yeah, you definitely have to not only research the person, but get out to vote and definitely go all the way down ballot. I encourage everyone to do that. Right. Right. Thank you so much for being with me today. Um, Thank you for having me. Very best. And, um, and, and we appreciate you being a part of the Local Matters family. Well, thank you. It was a great, thank you for inviting me, Janice. It was really good. And, and good, good luck to you with all of your stuff. I mean, you are phenomenal. I just want to say that. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.